In today's episode, we've got a really great reselling conversation and some really important reselling news. Let's get to it. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 28 of the Galaxy CDs, Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast in which we will actually have reseller talk once again. I had a great interview with Mo Fremont from the Reseller Niche podcast. I had actually interviewed with him on his show some time back, and today we're going to return the favor and talk to him on this show. So I hope you'll stick around for that, but we're going to kick it off. News updates. With some reselling news. First up, eBay published on the 7th, so about three days ago by the time you see this, uh, 2021 shipping carrier rate changes. January 24th, 2021, I've talked about this previously, the U.S. Postal Service will invoke its regular annual price increase. Uh, eBay has it listed. They don't have all of the specifics listed. If you want that, you'll need to go to the USPS site where they actually have an Excel spreadsheet, I believe, that you can download to see all of the rate changes. But the eBay article does talk about the fact that the USPS rates will be going up on January 24th of this year. So just a couple of short weeks from now, the increase is not quite as large as what we experienced during the holiday season. So it'll be a little bit less than that, but a little bit more than what we're paying right now. eBay also pointed out that as of this point, the UPS price increases have not been passed along to eBay sellers, which is something. Uh, UPS put in a, uh, a rate increase that went into effect, I believe, at the end of December, and that has not passed on to eBay. So if you ship on UPS, uh, you're in good shape. FedEx had new rates that went into effect on January 4th of this year. The price increase average was about 4.9% across the board. USPS rates, when they go up, priority mail is going to go up about 3.5%. First class packages are going to go up 6.5%, which is a pretty sizable bump. Uh, again, but not as big as the previous one. Parcel select goes up 4.9%, and priority mail express is 1.2% increase. So be on the lookout for those. Again, they go into effect January 24th of this year, so in a couple of weeks. Speaking of shipping and the ongoing issues, Amazon has eased new seller delivery requirements as COVID strains carriers. Amazon is relaxing some shipping performance requirements that were set to take effect in February for members of its Seller Fulfilled Prime program. This program allows sellers to designate prime eligible inventory without paying for Amazon's fulfillment services. I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> uh, last August, the company announced that starting in February of 2021, members of this program would be required to make deliveries on Saturdays and meet one and two day delivery targets. However, on Tuesday, Amazon announced that it was temporarily relaxing those delivery speed targets for SFP members in response to pandemic generated, quote, constraints on the logistics industry. The SFP program launched in 2016 enables third-party merchants to make inventory eligible for two-day shipping 
and display the vaunted Prime badge on their listings without paying for Amazon's FBA services. With SFP, sellers store their own products, pack their own orders, while delivery is managed by carriers such as USPS, FedEx, or UPS. Of course, major carriers have experienced unprecedented strain on their systems throughout the coronavirus pandemic and then the holiday shopping season as well. On top of that, UPS and FedEx are likely to face even tighter capacity in the months ahead as they prioritize shipments of millions of doses of the coronavirus. Amazon says that beginning in June, now SFP members will be required to show delivery speeds of two days or less for 70% of people who view their product listing. Sellers will still be required to support Saturday and Sunday deliveries and pickups, as well as provide nationwide delivery coverage beginning February 1st. So if you're part of that program on Amazon, you're going to get a little bit of a break. You're going to get until June to fully comply with that. eBay. Uh, they keep finding ways to get black eyes. There's a report out this week, elephant ivory still being sold on eBay despite 12 year ban, uh, still being sold on eBay despite the online marketplace introducing a ban over a decade ago, researchers discovered sellers are misrepresenting the materials used in certain items and sometimes using quote code words To disguise illicit listings, researchers from the Durrell Institute of Conservation and Ecology at the University of Kent in England said in a statement Monday. In 2008, eBay announced it was introducing a global ban on the sale of ivory starting on January 1, 2009. Despite eBay's strict policy on animal and wildlife products, there is still an ongoing trade in ivory mostly concealed as other non-restricted materials, said co-author David Roberts in a statement. Uh, He claims that of the items that they were able to discover on eBay, only 1.3% to 6.9% of them had been removed by eBay when researchers checked the listings again one month later. More than 50% had been sold, while half of the unsold examples had been relisted. If eBay was effectively enforcing its policy on ivory, these items would have been removed. Roberts went on to praise such sites as Etsy and Preloved as doing a, quote, fantastic job limiting sales of items linked to the illegal wildlife trade. If other companies can do it, certainly eBay and the like can also do it, he said. So uh, this probably doesn't really affect any of us, but uh, another, another example of eBay not really following through on the things that they say they're going to do. And this one, um, if you're, you know, conservationally minded, this one is kind of a problem. The, the trade of ivory is something that's been a real sore spot for folks for a long, long time. And this is not, not a good look for eBay. Moving on to Poshmark, we talked a couple of weeks ago about their IPO, which is now looks like it's going to happen this coming week. Poshmark has set the terms for a $257 million IPO, which is to begin trading possibly on Wednesday, January 13th or Thursday, the 14th, Uh, will be publicly available. Uh, They could not, this article, and again, as always, I will link to these in the show notes and the description below. This is on Barron's. Um, Poshmark set the terms of the initial public offering. The company is offering 6.6 
million shares ranging from $35 to $39 each, meaning it could raise as much as $257.4 million if it reaches the high end of their price range. When that is all said and done with all the other shares that are out there, Poshmark will have a $2.86 billion market capitalization at $39 a share. That's a bunch. (laughs) Uh, So good on them. Uh, Hopefully that works out well for Poshmark. Some of the more recent IPOs have not done all that well, but uh, everybody seems pretty confident in this one. Lastly, uh, for our international listeners, eBay payments coming to more of Europe by April. eBay has announced it's expanding the rollout of managed payments in parts of Europe by the end of the first quarter. Currently, the U.S., Germany, U.K., Australia, and Canada are enrolled and being enrolled in the program. It will roll out this payments program to France, Italy, and Spain later in Q1, uh, which ends obviously at the end of March, on March 31st. So sometime over the next couple of months, if you're in France, Italy, or Spain, look for managed payments and all the fun and excitement with that to be coming your way. I say that tongue-in-cheek. I see people are still kind of off the deep end on the managed payments thing. I still have had no problems. Uh, my weekly payouts come on time, always. It's It's been great, so I have no issues. The only issue I have is I chose to set up my business banking account with Aslo, which is an online kind of business bank. They're a division of Compass BBVA, and they sent out an announcement this week that their parent company has decided to close them. (laughs) Uh, If it ain't one thing, it's another. So if you're using Aslo, you probably got that email earlier this week. You're going to have to find another cheap business banking solution. I've yet to really start doing any research on that. Uh, They were totally free. So it was a great, great program for a small seller like me. Uh, BBVA is saying that they will roll existing Aslo business clients into one of their current business programs, but I don't see anything in my kind of dollar volume tier that looks like it will actually be free, which is kind of a problem because I really don't want to pay for banking. So if you have any good banking solutions, please feel free to leave them in the comments below so that I can look into that. (laughs) Uh, With that, we are going to take a really quick sponsor break. Uh, For our podcast listeners, quick shout out, as always, to my man, Timmy P., for his ongoing support of the show. We will be right back with the interview with Mo Fremont from the Reseller Niche Podcast. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts and you want to do me a solid, please leave me a review. That would be awesome. If you're listening anywhere else, there's a link in the show notes to my Podchaser page where you can also go and leave a review. Be sure to check me out on YouTube at Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips and follow me on Instagram at Galaxy CDs Rocks. Thanks again. Hey guys, welcome to another Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips reselling conversation today. I'm really thrilled to be talking to someone who show I have actually appeared on not once but twice. Uh, we recorded one of his podcasts together and I, I was on one of his lives. Please give a warm Galaxian welcome to Mo from the Reseller Niche podcast. 
thanks for coming out on this crazy, it's a Wednesday night. Uh, if you're following the news, man, it has been a crazy day in uh, Washington, D.C., but uh, we decided to go ahead and get this interview in the can anyway. So uh, welcome to the show, Mo. Oh, thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. No worries. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you, What's your kind of reselling niche, as it were? <laughs> um, I guess right now, to be honest, most of what I sell is used clothing as un- uh, interesting as that might, might sound. I've um, seen uh, my, a lot of people oh, talk okay. about that, not to interrupt you, but sure. there are some people that say clothing is a really, really great thing to start with when you're just starting yeah. in reselling. And there are others who say, absolutely not. You shouldn't mess with closing and oh, clothing until you're a little more familiar with what you're doing. What would your, be your opinion on that? I would say the first thing that you said, because clothing is abundant from what I've seen in pretty much any at least in the U.S., any thrift store you walk into, I'd say more than 50% of what is there oh, sure. is like clothing. And on top of that, if you're, if you know about women's clothing, I would say that's an, e- which I don't do at all, which that would be an even easier avenue to join. Um, simply because there's so much of it. Right. I mean, um, I don't know if you have, People have goodwill bins. I mean, you could be talking about pennies on a dollar buying this stuff. So in terms of low dollar, easy access, I would say clothing is an easy route to get started into uh, reselling. Now, how about the other side of it, the the listing and, you know, the level of detail and the measurements and all that sort of stuff, the things that I hate yeah. <laughs> about clothing. But uh, for someone who's new, jumping into whether it's Poshmark or eBay or wherever they sell and you've got to go through all that stuff. Is that, could that be intimidating for a new seller or is that a great way to you just dive in the deep end and get it figured out? Definitely. It could completely be intimidating. I hated clothing first. I didn't start um, with clothing. I kind of fell into clothing uh, simply because I saw so much of it. At first I thought, you know what, what am I going to do with this shirt? What am I going to do with these pants? How do I even do this? Um, what I would say with clothing is, uh, like anything else, find something you possibly have in your own closet mm-hmm. and start with that. In terms of getting started with things like picture taking and measurements, it's similar to anything else. The difference is the measurements. The, um, what I do to make it simple is I have a couple of rulers. I stole this. Um, I saw a video on it online. Um, there's two different things. I used to have a white background, which had like ruler okay. measurement. So I would just put it on that. That kind of faded and never, I never replaced it. So instead I got two, I think there are three foot rulers. Um, and I just put them in kind of an X shape. Sure. And you can put that down, that type of thing. You can put the clothes literally on it. Um, that kind of thing. Or just simply put down a ruler and just do it that way. The main thing I would say with clothing is, you probably want to have quite a bit of it because it's, I, I, at least in my sure. opinion, a slow seller. It's long tail. Right. You're, they're the most competition out of anything else, at least on eBay. Um, so what I hear is uh, people going into clothing and saying things like, well, I put up 20 items and I don't see any sales. Right. That's pretty common with anything. Clothing might be a little bit worse because there's so much competition. Um, Well, yeah. And you're, there are so many things you're up against with, I mean, you've got, you know, the style, the color, the size. So if you've got, you know, a green shirt in large, that's a really specific 
item yes. as opposed to, you know, you walk into a store and they have every color in the rainbow in sizes that people probably don't even wear, you know, so that, that's how you would attack that as a retailer, yeah. which is where my background is. So to think as a reseller that you could, like you say, do 20 items and then be shocked that you haven't generated any sales is probably uh, not, not a good plan. <laughs> exactly. And I, I think where people kind of lose their way with clothing is they'll, they'll think clothing is one thing as well. When people talk about clothing, obviously you have so many different ways you can go. I know a lot of people just do shoes. They just do sneakers, not just shoes. Only do men's sneakers. That's it. And right. they kill it. So, I mean, um, I've done a little bit of that. And I, I actually, if I was telling someone to start off, I would tell them to start off if they're not grossed out by it, because there's that factor as well, um, with shoes, either new or used. But shoes, I think, are something that a lot of people avoid. But there's still a lot of them. So it kind of uh, takes you away from the shirt racks, I guess. Right. Uh, that type of thing. So um, I do that. I usually deal with new shoes. And I used to do that more on Amazon. Um, so that way I could just send them in and it was, it was pretty simple. You just, you know, go with the barcode, whatever the number is. But, um, as far as, yeah, my advice for anyone looking to get into clothing would be pick something, pick, I want to do t-shirts. I want to do, you know, jeans, jeans are another great one. There's so many different things you can do. But at the same time, once you, once I started doing this, I found out that I wasn't, uh, I don't, I'm not in love with clothing. I do a lot of other things as well. I sell a lot of uh, video games, a lot of uh, used toys, uh, vintage toys. So I kind of, you kind of figure out what you like. Right. And kind of something kind of comes with just picking and kind of starting the list. Now you mentioned you don't do women's clothes. Do you have a particular, uh, A, a reason why you don't do women's clothes um, and no. B, a niche that you have chosen in clothing to go down? Yes. Um, well, with clothing, I do mainly shirts, mainly men's shirts. Uh, I do vintage T-shirts, and I do kind of button-up shirts, I guess you would call them. And I just basically have a list of brands, and which constantly rotates. I want to gotcha. say everything. Things, not that I'm, I mean, I just wear <laughs> sweatshirts and hoodies and that type of thing. So <laughs> that's not something that I know from personal use, but uh, just uh, just from looking at the solds on eBay, that type of thing. I mainly stick with button-up shirts and T-shirts. I do a little bit of, um, I've done some jeans and some shoes, like I said. Now, with women's clothing, it's not that I don't want to sell that. Um, type of stuff. It's just, I don't have the knowledge base. Right. And I kind of, to be honest, wish I did because um, it's a huge, I mean, like I said, any thrift store, the number one thing I think is women's clothing. Oh, yeah. Out of it. There's maybe, if there's 20 racks, 15 of them are women's clothing. Yep. Yep. So, um, yeah, I, I actually, I wish I did know more about women's clothing. <laughs> so, what, what process did you use to find out kind of what brands made sense? You said you'd looked at kind of eBay solds. Um, yes would you think theoretically you could do the same thing for the women's clothes and at least pick brands that made sense or what's where would, where would you be able to get the knowledge if you decided, you know what, this is, it's too good an opportunity. I really need to dive in. Sure. Well, with me, I'll tell you the reason why I did first of all, simply because there were so many types of clothing I was already selling. I was already, I have a whole lot of, I have, Lots of different types of sweaters. I do sweaters, vests, T-shirts, button-up shirts, jeans, and shoes. 
and tank tops. I think those are the seven categories. So when I, I actually did look at women's clothing for a little bit, and I thought, you know what, maybe I can take a look at, um, I think I was looking at women's jeans first, because I remember picking up jeans and then looking, jeans kind of intimidate me a little bit, so I don't do many of them, only because I don't like measuring them, and I don't like picturing them. Right. I don't know why, because anyone would say, you know, well, you take a picture of a shirt, what's the difference? Yeah. I just thought... Just the whole process kind of irked me a little bit. And they're a little bit, yeah, I, I just didn't like it. So I thought, you know what? If I'm going to do jeans, maybe I'll do men's and women's. So I started looking to it that way. And I just felt like I was taking on too many different types sure. of clothing. And I wasn't enjoying clothing at this point to begin with. So that's when I said, you know what? My passions, I guess, if you would say it, are in other types of things, like vintage items. Now, I do like vintage clothing. Don't get me wrong. I, I love finding um, old tags, old mm-hmm. company names, uh, that type of thing, and looking them up. That really interests me. I don't know why. Um, but just finding something super old and being able to look it up is fun. Yep. So, and that's, I've, I've talked about that in a lot of my videos yeah. and podcasts about, you know, you find the thing that you're interested in and it makes it, it makes it fun. It makes it interesting. And you don't, you don't mind doing the work and you don't mind doing the research. And, you know, what one person thinks might be a crazy thing to to look into someone else is like, man, this is heaven. I love doing this. And that's the yep. beauty of reselling. Absolutely. Absolutely. And actually another reason I kind of didn't move into more types of clothing is because I felt like I had stockpiled enough of one type of item. I have literally hundreds of each, like a button up shirts, t-shirts, even jeans, which I'm not really a big fan of. So I kind of get to the point when I have one category and I see how fast they move. Mm-hmm. And if, and I, f- I feel like they're not moving fast enough. Um, I kind of stop sourcing that for a while. There's something wrong. You know, either my listing's wrong. I'm buying the wrong stuff. There's something. Um, or maybe I'm just not. I think you froze up on as passionate about should be. Yeah. <laughs> so, when you've got that big stockpile of stuff and you've, you've made that decision to stop sourcing, what do yeah. you do to try to get that pile of stuff moving? Do you run markdown sales? What's your strategy to kind of deal with slow moving or dead inventory? Sure. What I do, actually, I just did this. I had a probably about 200 base, like, kind of like Under Armour, Nike, dry fit type shirts. Um, and about two weeks ago, I said, you know what? These are not moving at all. So I just lock them up. I'll make lots based on size, based on color, style, that type of thing. And I will just have a sale. It'll be, you know, 30%, 50% what I, of whatever. And it will be lots of 5, 10, whatever I can do and just blow them out. Yeah. I do promoted listings. I do markdown manager. I kind of do it all. Yeah. Um, anything, you know, if it sits for more than, for clothing, I have stuff that has sit, sat for literally three years. Yeah, and when you have that, it's it, that really irks me. So that's why I kind of stop and say, you know, why am I continuing to purchase this and this? So I have to do something. I'll, I'll usually bundle it up, and worst case scenario, I donate it. That's something I've had a really, really hard time doing because right. I always feel like I can get something out of this. I know I bought this for two ninety nine. I've listed it for nineteen ninety nine, but you know, for three years, I mean, that's too long. So right, because I mean, theoretically, you've already lost your money. Exactly. You know, by the point where it gets to three years down the road. Plus, I would think with clothing, you start to run into the 
you know, what is fashionable today is not necessarily fashionable in three years. You know, for somebody like me with old books, you know, a, a long tail old book is still theoretically as valuable in three years as it is today. You just got to find the right buyer. But with clothing, if you've got the wrong style and you've got 200 of them, yeah. you know, a year from now, you could really be stuck. So exactly, exactly. So and another thing is space. I mean, if you have basically dead inventory and it's sitting there not doing anything. I mean, I guess I could cross list. I tried, that is one other thing I did try. I went to Poshmark for a little bit, really didn't have a fun time there at all. Uh, maybe I, cause I, I basically started that this year. So, um, but yeah. Um, and I just felt like for the time I'm putting in watching items sit, uh, I can look at different types of items. Why, settle on clothing only. So that's right. kind of why I've separated a bit. So is that how you then moved into kind of the, the vintage toys and the other stuff that you're into? Yeah. So basically I said, you know what? I'm really pigeonholing myself. So I started looking at the other things I had, the other interests. I mean, I like vintage, pretty much anything, but vintage toys, action figures, board games, video games, video game systems. So I looked at those four things and I said, you know, I've sold this before, mainly on Amazon. I can do a little bit of this on eBay as well. So I started seeing what can I buy in bulk for relatively cheap. Uh, my whole thing with clothing is if I could buy it for under two bucks a piece and sell it for between 20 and 30, that was kind of what I was trying to do. But when things sit, then you have to cut that price and it doesn't make it worthwhile. Right. But with vintage toys and video games, what seems to happen is eventually they do sell. They're a lot smaller, a lot lighter a lot of times. And um, there are a lot less of them, um, in, depending on what you get, obviously. Um, so what I found is I could actually buy, especially this year, a lot of people were selling whole, like maybe their childhood toys or whatever it was, but I was able to buy in bulk. So I said, you know, I want to buy in bulk, but I don't want to buy clothing in bulk. I want to buy something I'm interested in. So I started buying video games in bulk, uh, action figures in bulk. I bought like a huge G.I. Joe action figure lot. I bought three or four of them, actually. Yeah. So I got probably about five or 600 figures. And they're extremely light. And by light, I mean an ounce, two ounces, maybe. Um, and I'm in the realm of things, I'm paying about 50 cents to a dollar a piece, maybe. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know what? I can store these much more easily. I can sell these just as, as fast, if not faster. So why not? So that's kind of the realization I came to over the last six months. So how do you, how do you store like vintage action figures? What's your process for, you know, you get the thing listed now, you got to put it somewhere. They're, yeah. they're kind of unusual shapes. They're not, it's not like you can stack 50 of them. How do, how do you handle the storage of those items? Sure. Well, with GI Joes, I have them bagged. They're Ziploc bagged. And what I try to do is I kind of have, I have tubs and I try to get multiples of the same figure. The good thing about uh, certain figures, uh, GI Joe is one of them, is that you can get them in abundance. So I can get three, five, ten of the same type, exact type of figure. Um, and I'm careful to where, let's say I have one that's missing an arm. Obviously, I'm not going to picture that and sell it in the same listing as one that's not. But they're around the same shape. 
um, you know, if they, you know, obviously the same figure. So I'll bag them all together. I have a Ziploc bag of like five figures, seven figures. I'll have them all in a tub and that tub will be marked. Um, and I put that in my custom SKU. Right. So I know where to find it. How do you ship toys? Oh, with that, mainly it's all first class. I mean, you're talking about... Right, um, but I mean, it, it, does it go in a box? Do you put them in a poly bag? How do you... Oh, what's the um, actual mechanics? Kind of of, I kind of go by price. With most of these, like a lighter, say it's under four ounces, I will ship in a... I will double bubble and I'll put that in. So it's basically triple bubble wrapped and it won't go in a box. It'll be in a, just a bubble envelope, yeah. basically. If it is something that's more expensive and by, I'd say, you know, 30 bucks or more, if someone's playing priority mail, if it's, you know, got insurance under that type of thing, yeah, I'm boxing it. So it kind of depends on the fragility and the, the expense of the item. Gotcha. So you mentioned um, you dabbled a little bit in Poshmark and you talked about you'd done some Amazon in the past. Where are you selling today? What, what platforms are you active on at the moment? I mean, technically, I could say I'm selling on all of them. Um, basically, it's eBay and Amazon. Um, I'm on Poshmark. I have maybe 25 items, I think, left. I sell one or two a month. Um, I'm not planning to continue that. I just, I already have them cross-listed, so I didn't want to take them down. Um, I just I kind of, I tried the whole sharing of closets thing. Right. And it it just, I just felt like it was a bit of a time suck and I was doing a lot better with eBay and Amazon. Yeah. Mercari for me has been a mixed bag. I've done a little bit more with toys. It's not bad actually. Um, so I've had a little bit of success and I can sell slightly more expensive items. Yeah. Um, um, I'm also on Etsy, but I just, there's just too many platforms for me. So right now it's basically, I'd say 80% eBay, 15% Amazon, and the rest is Macari, that tiny little bit of Poshmark, yeah. and local sales. When you're, you're Amazon, are you FBA, or are you doing Merchant Fulfilled, or do you do a little of both? Until, the, until March of this year, it was 100% FBA. Uh, once COVID hit, and once, I'm not sure when, they stopped taking in shipments for FBA for a while. Right. Um, so because of that, I you know, anything that was there was there and I had no choice about that. So I had merchant fulfilled everything. And that's, to be honest, as bad as it sounds, this is the first year I've ever merchant fulfilled. I mean, I might've done one or two items randomly, but um, now I want to say I'm 50, 50 merchant fulfilled Amazon and FBA on Amazon. So I have maybe, I don't know, 300 items in FBA, 300 items merchant fulfilled. Um, They're both about the same. They're, as easy as each other. It's, it's just the same as doing eBay when you know, yeah. full of that. but the, then, uh, um, the, the FBA stuff, is it cross listed anywhere else? Or do you leave that exclusively as FBA? I used to, be. I used to use Joe Lister and I used to cross list everything that was an FBA to my eBay store. But what I found is that at least three times where they would delay the shipping um, from FBA when it sold on eBay. Sure. Uh, and, because of that, I just said, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I know, you know, tech, and I think technically there's a rule against that. I could be wrong um, that they count that as uh, drop shipping technically since it's not in hand. So um, I could be wrong, but um, I just that I just got rubbed the wrong way there. And I just, you know, I don't want this again. Right. I remember having a conversation with the Amazon customer service because they 
technically said that it was being shipped, but they didn't give me a tracking number. So I said, okay, this is being shipped. Then. Can I have a tracking number? And they gave me this long code thing, which is basically their internal number that says it's going to be shipped. Right. So I was trying to explain to them that, well, I need to put a tracking number in. And they said, long story short, they didn't have one yet. Yeah. So uh, I, I just didn't like that at all. Yeah. I A lot of people swear by FBA, but I don't, I don't know. I'm not sold. What, what are your opinions on it on its own, FBA, not with the cross listing piece. I mean, well, FBA for certain items, if you sell, especially around Christmas, it's great. I know a ton of people that do, they kill it. That's all they do. 100% FBA uh, around Christmas, their sales quadruple or 10x or whatever it is. Um, I used to be in the same boat. Um, I. <laughs> I don't know. I've been burned too many times, I guess, with FBA, either when it comes to brands coming after you. And I don't sell anything extraordinary. I sell, you know, video games and toys mm-hmm. and puzzles. I had a puzzle brand um, come after me saying, take down all your puzzles. I had three puzzles. <laughs> come on. I mean, they're like going for $20, $22, nothing fancy. Yeah. And I said, no, take this down. So that kind of thing, I just felt like I was losing time. It was a waste of time. And I wasn't a giant FBA seller. So for me, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that hard. I feel for anyone that was, you know, really, you know, selling 100% of everything they were doing was on FBA. Um, I was able to pull my items back and put them on eBay. Um, gotcha. For the majority of them. So you've still got 300 yeah, odd right, items. Right, right. There are yeah, those, are so skews, are those things that you will continue or when those sell out, are you going to kind of wash your hands? Uh, I like to continue with the, I like the idea of having the FBA account and having it active. Gotcha. I, um, I, I make a decent amount to where it pays for like the monthly pays for itself. And I make a little bit, nothing substantial anymore. So, um, but it is I nice mean, to maintain that account. Cause I made that mistake when I had my record store back in the olden days, I had an Amazon account and I, at that time they didn't, you weren't gated. You could just sell whatever. Yeah. And when I closed the store in 2012, I stopped selling on Amazon cause I didn't really have any product. I didn't have any need for it. And I just kind of let it go. And I got an email from them. I want to say it was 2017 maybe. And they're like, your account has been inactive for five years. If you're not going to use it, we're going to close it. And I just was like, ah, sure, go ahead, close it. I don't care. Well, now here I am (laughs) and I look into it and I have to sign up and I can't use the account that I used originally. I've got to essentially start fresh Yeah, and I'm gated, of course, in my primary category, music with CDs. So it's Uh, almost pointless for me. I could do the books, but I was just like, man, what if I'd have just thrown a couple of things up there just to keep it active? So I totally get that, that idea. How many listings do you have across all platforms roughly i'd say around 2700 um i have to check my my ebay is about 18 to 1900 now is that like no your items and like multiples like if you've got a green shirt or is it i'm not i'm Uh, not fishing for your inventory but i mean do you do that sort of you know i'm buying 15 of a shirt and I put up one listing with a quantity of 15 and then the different yeah. sizes. And I, I probably have about 20 on eBay. I'm thinking 
about 20 different multiple multi-quantity items. Those are a lot of those are action figures and actually they're only action figures or clothing except for one item i have this one kind of random clothing like a wristband type item i have like 50 of those so most yeah most of those are clothing action figures i do yeah about 20 of them i'd say are multi-listed items yeah um that's just that's actually one of my goals for this year to get more of those uh, easier to list obviously and you know just keep replenishing Right. I was just going to say, is the replenishable, because you and I offline, we were talking about uh, Chris, yeah. Daily Refinement, and that yeah. is one of his, you know, tickets to paradise, if you will, the whole replenishable thing. He is yeah. all about that stuff. I was just going to say, is that something that you're looking at as we go into it 2021? Makes, it is. It makes it kind of a little bit more difficult. It's not, I mean, when I deal with, I deal with vintage action figures, so replenishing them isn't as easy as replenishing a brand new video game. Um, so because sometimes it's a little bit harder to get. So I have some of those. So what I'm thinking about is brand new clothing. And I've never really dabbled in brand new clothing at all. Um, so I'm thinking about doing that. So that would be a lot easier for me to get replenishables. And then if I can buy that in bulk too, that would be even better. Um, so that's, that's, uh, those are the plans for the coming year, replenishables in bulk. And how would you go about, doing that or have you started that process and i know chris again is he talks a lot about you know establishing vendor relationships so that you can buy like you say in bulk and you know and give me kind of a sense of what's your definition of bulk are you wanting a pallet load a truck load how much stuff what kind of investment in inventory are you looking to make to be honest i'm looking i mean i always say this but i'll never i don't think i'll ever stop thrifting but I always say I, I have to if I want to move on to the next step. I used to have uh, I used to have a shipping store. I used to always have access to space, so that was my biggest thing. Where I, like a pallet or two or three wouldn't have been an issue. I had place, places to put them. I could put them in my garage now, but um, that's already a huge mess. But um, so. I guess my access before when I was in the Bay Area is I had access to about three or four different Goodwills, and I knew the managers. I'd been able to talk to them and kind of talk to them about whenever you get X, Y, and Z pallets, you know, anything that's surplus, let me know. And I used to do a lot of kind of home, um, kind of personal care items. So they would give me like little lotions, little like uh, makeup things, and I would get these in bulk. So it wasn't me picking them. It was basically – I was at their whim, depending on whatever they got. They would right. get a lot of target returns. So um, that was, I guess, they, that's what they dealt with. So I would get all these, you know, makeups, things, makeup holders, lipsticks, all this kind of thing. And I would sell those mainly on Amazon. And the problem is this is three years ago when brand gating started to happen. So that's a lot of that thrown out the window. One, I'm not in, I don't live over there anymore. Two, a lot of those brands I'm gated in. Yeah. So um, right now what I've been trying to do is reach out to people, uh, stores. Um, I'm trying to look and see if there are any stores are going out of business, if they're looking to move inventory. I, I try to do this stuff face-to-face. I'm not very good at it, to be honest. Uh, I try and shoot emails and start that way and just kind of see, you know, can we meet? Do you have an overstock of any kind? I kind of search the web. Um, especially, you know, with the way, uh, 
COVID's kind of shut a lot of things down recently. So, um, yeah, um, I'm, that's kind of in process. So I don't really have many leads right now. So I'm kind of trying to build those up right now. What sort of stores are you looking like small independent businesses or bigger? Like Macy's just announced they're closing another 125 stores. uh, (laughs) The good one I fell into, to be honest, I didn't, it wasn't like I knew some manager. I happened to walk in and I happened to see two people talking. One of them happened to be a regional manager, manager talking to the local manager. And I just kind of walked behind them and I was looking through some stuff and they talked about the item they were just talking about. And I, I just said, Oh, do you have any more of these? And they looked at each other and then the regional manager said, do you want to come in the back? So that was completely lucky. Right. Um, I did nothing for that. So I wish I had a better story, a better. (laughs) That actually is a great story because it's, you know, instant networking, paying attention when an opportunity presents itself. And sometimes people get so, you know, kind of pigeonholed in what they're doing. They're not, I'm always, when I'm out at a sale, I'm always listening to what other people are talking about, you know, what things they're looking to score and whatever, because that's just one more thing in my toolbox that I could be looking for. And that's an opportunity that never would have presented itself if you hadn't been paying attention. Oh, and it was, it was huge for me because I, like I said, I had zero, you know, I didn't have any wholesale accounts or any of that. And what they did actually was the thing that sealed it actually was I spent money in that day. Because I think when I walked in there, he looked at me, he said, would you be okay with that? And he kind of just pointed over. It was a palette of, like I said, mixed like uh, home goods. It was everything from, there were blenders in there. There were uh, lipsticks. There were uh, makeup things. And I could kind of see on the top, they also had a lot of, not expired, but I guess there was a year left on it. It was like vitamins and things like that. This is when I could actually sell that stuff on Amazon. So when I saw that and I said, well, you know, what would you give, what could I pay you for this? I said something ridiculous like that. And he kind of looked at me and said, well, whatever the sticker is on there, if you want to pay half, the more you take, the better it is for you. He said something like that. Yeah. So I looked at it and all the stickers they had, they had these red target stickers. They're all like $3, $4, something like that. And I just said, would you take a dollar a piece? I said something like that. And he said, are you going to take it all? And I kind of balked there because this, this is a palette. There's a lot of small stuff. So I'm guessing there's like thousands of dollars of stuff in there because it's so small. I kind of gulped a little bit. I said, uh, well, I could take a lot. I said something like that. <laughs> so then he kind of stopped. He said, okay, well, we'll see what you, you know, we'll see what you get. And he kind of walked away. So I bought as much as I could. I think I spent like a thousand dollars that day. I'd never spent anything close to that. Um, mainly makeup and like you said, lotion, little things. And that was pretty good. Actually. I, I made out for that one, but because of that, they kept my phone number at the register. And I remember the next time I walked in, it said Mo and it had my phone number on the side of the register, like a little piece of paper. I don't know how long it lasted, but at least I got a couple of calls. Oh, we got sure. a pallet of this. We got a pallet of that. And I didn't always buy everything. I'm not trying right. to say, yeah, but at least I got that call. Yep. And the second and third time, pretty much every time after that, I got a call. It went in as fast as I could. I said, okay, I'll be there in a minute. Yep. And I was there. It was in where it was in my hometown. So it was five minutes away. 
And because of that, I got a call from another guy in San Jose, San Jose Goodwill, which is about 20 minutes away from me. I went in there and I purchased. I think the main thing is out of this is if you actually show them that you're going to spend money and you don't give them a hard time about it, you just take it. Then that was, that was what helped me at least for those three or four stores. Yep. Um, Yeah. Basically only one of them would really call me back, but at least I got one time I got a call from three other stores. So that was helpful. And I've I've talked about similar thing with estate sales where I've established some relationships and now, you know, I've got several of them that call me and say, Hey, we've got a house full of books or a house full of records. You know, if you're, if you can be here by four o'clock and take them, they're yours kind of thing. So establishing those relationships, especially if you're willing to do, like you said, a bulk buy and no questions asked, I'm going to take it all and I'll give you whatever, 50 cents or a dollar or eight cents, whatever it works out to be. (laughs) Uh, That's a fantastic opportunity. So what do you do? How do you process all that? So you've got a thousand items in a big box. Are you, do you have everything kind of inventoried at your house? I do. Um, Like um, what I do, I have a sub system and I try and use a custom skew. It's a little bit of a mess now, but with those items that I got from um, that day at the Goodwill, I literally took everything in boxes and I, and I touched it box by box. I separated it by item. So you know, lotions here, lipstick here, you know, whatever here. And I separated it by item. And I actually had help at that time, so it was a little bit um, easier. And what the two of us did basically was just um, we set up custom SKUs for each item. Like I think it was like LP and then we had a number next to it for lipstick or something like that. And then we did it box. I really took my time. That's another thing. Uh, I had the space so I could do that. I wasn't freaking anybody out about, you know, taking up the living room or something. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, I I think I remember we just did lipstick for like a day or two or three days. And then we went on to lotion and then we went on to that. So that's, I really broke it down by that. And I, I'm really glad I did that at the beginning because I know just from when I've been here by myself and I've left inventory, I've listed it and I've kind of left it to one side. That's a great way to mess things up. So um, uh, with Amazon, it also makes it easier that um, whenever you're, you do all the work up front. So when you're labeling you kind of can't leave it out. You have to, I mean, if you want, especially because I was sending in the FBA. So I had, after it was organized, I had to label it all and you send it off. So there is no way to kind of leave it. Um, if you're not, other than not sending it in, I guess. So that was helpful. And it kind of structure wise for me, that organized it for me. I just kind of sent in everything I could and I couldn't send in everything. Like some of the stuff was, you know, expired. Some of the stuff was, you know, the packaging was broken or something. So, um, but yeah, that was really helpful just having that structure actually. Yeah. So if you got an opportunity like that now, not really using Amazon in that way, would you, would you still take it and would you try to do something with it on eBay or would you, would you pass? I would really have to think about it. Um, only because I'd have to look it up with, you know, three, four years ago on Amazon, you could, sell pretty much anything uh at least you break even you know and you can just pull back the items and then that would be done with it now i would have to double check and see if it would sell um i would probably right now say yes i would jump at anything because i haven't had a wholesale deal in a while so if it's made sense money wise and if i thought i could sell it i would jump at it yes i definitely would very cool 
So let's shift gears a little bit and move into the YouTube podcasting, social media aspect, which is where you and I actually met originally. Um, Talk to me a little bit about the podcast. Tell tell everybody where they can find you for starters, obviously reseller niche podcast, but uh, give us kind of the rundown of that whole thing. Well, when I originally started, I had a partner, uh, Russ, and the two of us, we started it as an interview type show. And that kind of changed along the way because we kind of felt like we didn't really, really like only doing interviews. So that changed. And this is, I want to say, 2017. And what, about a year after that, I'd say I moved um, up from the Bay Area to the Sacramento area. So we took about an 18-month break. So that kind of killed the podcast and everything, to be honest. Uh, so then uh, once I started right back up, uh, Russ was no longer reselling. So um, he just felt like it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't a good fit if he wasn't reselling and we're doing a reselling podcast. Sure. So uh, that made sense. So um, what I wanted to do when I started back up is do a little bit of everything, um, I felt like, like I said, I didn't really want to just do only interviews. Um, my whole thing now is to kind of do a podcast in a way where I can talk about the process while at the same time pushing myself. Cause I felt like when I was doing a podcast or when I was doing YouTube, I was doing that and I wasn't reselling and I kind of, they got separated for some reason. So right now we do a lot of live listing things, um, that, and I, you know, invite people to come on or whatever they want to do. I'm basically forcing myself to list more and to get more into reselling as opposed to just separating myself and talking about it Uh, because I have a tendency to get sidetracked very, very easily. So how do you avoid that while you're doing a live? So you're on, I've caught bits and pieces and we talked about it last week. My setup is, you know, my kind of YouTube podcasting stuff is over here and all my listing action is over there. So I really can't do both sure. at once. How does that work for you? How do you keep from getting so deep into a conversation that you're still able to do the listing? Well, I split up my listing. Um, I, I usually, I'm, I'm either taking pictures only when we're on live or I'm actually doing the rest of the list. Like I'm doing the draft and submitting it because I've, I mean, I, I've always done my listings that way. Anyway, I always take pictures and I always sort and just do picture picture for like three hours and then I'll do my listings. So that's, I found that easier. And the second thing is I'll try and have people on with me. So if I'm lost in whatever I'm doing, I don't technically have to be speaking or paying attention as bad as that sounds, but, um, I've got help. So, um, it, it make, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I still get lost and I still get distracted very easily. So <laughs> I wish I had a, a better answer, but no, I try and split it up. I try and make it very simple. Like I'm only editing descriptions or I'm only taking pictures, make it as simple as possible. Then I won't get distracted. Yeah. And how have those shows gone? Uh, you've been doing them a couple of times a week. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, we do three to four a week. Um, it's interesting because still at the beginning, I'm talking to myself at the beginning, which I think is good. Like I'm literally talking to the screen. I can see there's a big zero on this. <laughs> okay. Um, for me, it's actually a confidence builder. I'm naturally kind of awkward in front of the camera talking. I don't like hearing myself talk. Maybe, I don't know if that's a common thing, but I think it is. Yeah. Most people, they say, hate the sound of their own voice. 
So when they hear it back, when you hear it, when you're just talking, it's one thing, but when you hear it played back on a recording or through a set of headphones, you're like, Oh man, I, do I really sound like that? (laughs) That's another reason I I prefer lives over edited videos because an edited video, you have to listen to yourself speak and (laughs) not fun, but yeah, I mean, it's, if I can get a little public speaking, if you call it experience out of it, um, and then list at the same time, those two things, if I can push myself to do more listings, um, because listing eventually, especially when I do, I try and do listings of the same types of items. It gets a little boring sometimes. Oh yeah. So if I can talk to somebody and get through it somehow and then move on to the next thing faster, anything helps. Right. And I kind of feel like YouTube right now, like I, I was saying this earlier today, it's kind of like a, this is like our, you know, water cooler right now. Absolutely. I mean, we're all kind of, yeah, we're all kind of at home doing our own thing. And if for like half an hour, an hour a day, we can talk to somebody else that's doing the same thing. I don't feel as, you know, bored. Uh, I can kind of get through a little bit faster. How long are the, the lives? You do an hour, two hours, or just whatever? Well, one of the things I tried to do is I forced myself to start at 6 a.m. my time just to get myself up at 6 a.m. And nobody's even up, I don't no. think. Um, so it's well, I would more, probably be up because that's like 9 o'clock here. But. <laughs> so that's true. Because I, I have um, uh, Leroy, Blood, Sweat, and uh, Cell. He's on the East Coast. So for him, it's 9 a.m. Yeah. So and, and to be honest, he's usually up at like, a, I guess, an hour or two before that. So he has no problem with it. I have a real problem getting up at that time in the morning. Uh, I, so, uh, me too. It is The problem is I just don't do it. <laughs> yes. So, like, I look, at the, I look at my watch. It's at 5.45 in the morning. I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Yeah. But then after I get up, I have a hard time going back to sleep. So that's, that's, I guess, a good problem to have. But, yeah, they run. We The longest one we did was five hours. Um, I'm not sure if I would do that again. That was a little, uh, a little too long. I think three, I think two to three hours is good. It all depends on how many items I have to list, to be honest. It's a very selfish endeavor. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it, it's all about pushing the listings out and hopefully meeting some cool people and having a conversation right. and along the way. Do you try to repurpose any of that content for the podcast? I tried. I tried on the podcast. I used to do podcasts completely separate from YouTube and I would have a, an outline and I'd read through it and it wouldn't be on camera at all. And I could do that. And that was fine. And then I tried doing that same thing um, on camera and it was difficult for me. I don't know why uh, I, w- I would just record the audio before and I wouldn't have an issue, but looking at the camera and saying the same thing made it awkward. So that's kind of why I brought in the live listings so I thought, okay, I can talk and I can do this and I can repurpose it as a podcast. I've done that a couple of times and I felt like the repurposed podcast wasn't up to scratch. I, it lost something. When I went to listen to it, I thought, if I'm listening to it as a viewer, what am I listening? I'm listening to a couple of people talking. It's not an interview. There's pauses when they, you know, right. when I'm taking pictures or whatever. And there's like rustling and this and that. I leave the room, I come back. What am I listening to? So I'm kind of at the point where I have to separate the podcast and um, depending on what the YouTube uh, video is, like if I'm talking about something specific like a sold or news or something like that, that's fine. But if I'm just talking, like right now, this would be fine. But if I'm just over here listing something, then 
it kind of loses its. Right. Um, I would, would lose interest personally. Is there would there be pieces of the conversation that you could go yeah. in and edit? And I mean, obviously, then you're adding a whole nother layer of work. But yeah. is there stuff there that you think would be valuable enough to chop up into, you know, a 10 minute highly edited podcast from two hours of conversation with a variety of resellers? There is. Um, so that's actually what I'm planning to do for the future. Um, I do actually do a, a show on Tuesday. Uh, which is not, it's, excuse me, it's kind of, my speaker's going out there, I think. Um, um, it's, I call it reseller light. We talk about everything like from movies to pop culture and stuff like that. Now that's what I've been putting out as a podcast. But for the second or third podcast, because I used to do three a week, the second and third podcast, I try and do exactly what you're saying. I try and pull from the lives. And it, it takes a long time to do that because there's, I mean, if you're talking about three hours or four hours and then sometimes you'll have go an hour with something. I don't, you know, I don't feel like there's anything in that entire hour that's worth listening to. Um, so, uh, because of that, yes and no, I'm, I'm in the process of doing that. Gotcha. What, what are your goals for your YouTube channel? You're, you've got a Facebook group. You're really active on Instagram. Obviously you have the podcast. What's, where do you, where are you trying to go with all of that? Um, the actual goal originally was to get to really, really niche down. I wanted to do more specific shows and specific items, not so you know, not just button up shirts, but a specific brand and it made in a specific year really niche down. I haven't really got to that yet. I've, I've recorded a free, a few uh, pre recorded videos on uh, vintage action figures. Wow, this is really. It's really crackling. I don't know what just happened. <laughs> it just went. <laughs> Okay. Um, so I've recorded a few. Uh, they were um, mainly to do with action figures, vintage, things like that. So my goal is to have very niche down videos with very specific subjects. And uh, I kind of, I'm trying to talk about things that other people aren't talking about. Yeah. I'd rather not, ju- I mean, I love haul videos. I love what soul videos. I do them. Um, but I feel like, um, there's a lot of them out there yeah. and I'd rather talk about something one I'm passionate in and talking about and also that maybe people aren't talking about. There's a few people out there doing them right now. Um, but there's a million different things you can talk about. Um, so why not? I mean, and I don't know if they'll be <laughs> taken well, but I, I think I enjoy them. <laughs> well, and that's kind of the, the point. I mean, if you enjoy doing them, it's kind of like, you know, the things that you pick to resell. If you're having a good time and you get something out of it, you know, of course, I would love for thousands of people to watch these videos and listen to this podcast. But realistically, I just like talking to people and I like doing them. And I, I kind of like the change of pace from the reselling piece to come in and edit it and, you know, throw in some yeah. graphics and do whatever. So it's a nice way to change up, you know, a couple of days a week and just do something different. And, you know, hopefully at some point it makes a little money, but if not, it's still, it's fun to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Kind of gets you, helps you get through the day, at least for me. Right. Which, which do you prefer doing the, the lives and before you were doing the, the kind of listing live, I was on one of your, actually a couple, I think of the live kind of Friday night reseller hangout kind of thing. What's, 
that versus the structure of the podcast, like you said, having the outline and going through all of that, which do you have a preference? I think for the podcast, it's either, ha- for me, it would have to be very specific. It has to be an interview or it has to be an outlined, scripted, or at least semi-scripted format for me. Um, but as far as YouTube goes, if I have several people on there, you can kind of get away with not having it as scripted. Sure. Um, it, I guess just being able to see someone, you can engage in with them uh, a little bit better than you can without being able to, you know, if somebody's listening to a podcast and you just can't, there's some things you can't get out of that. Right. Uh, Although they so, say those people are really engaged. And like mm-hmm. when you let somebody into your ear holes, as it were, you know, yeah. they're really, you know, and they listen to the long form. I go back and I look at my stats on, you know, these hour long YouTube videos and the average view time is, you know, 28, 29 minutes. So it's sometimes less than half of it. Yeah. But on the podcast, people listen to the whole thing. So it's a completely oh, yeah. different experience. So you maybe you don't feel like it's engaged, but I think those listeners probably are. And actually, for that exact reason, I kind of felt bad. I mean, unless I really do a good job editing, pulling out of those long, like, listing videos, if I don't, if I have these long pauses, then I feel like I'm not really giving them what they want. They want a continuous flow of information, whether it's interviews or, you know, you're talking about something, you've got news or whatever it is. If I can do that, then that's fine. But um, so I... It's in process. What I, I, the right. podcast is kind of, I, I enjoy doing the podcast, but I, I kind of feel like I'm shortchanging people unless I give them something a little bit more organized. Yeah. Yep. Totally get that. So we're bumping up against an hour here. So let everybody know again where they can find you on the various social medias and, you know, tell us a little bit about your Facebook group. Sure. Um, you can, uh, the podcast is called the Reselling Niche Podcast. On um, YouTube, we're uh, called the same thing. You can look us up under Reseller Niche. Um, on Instagram, it's Reseller underscore Niche. Uh, any of those places, you'll be able to find all of our links. Um, and the Facebook group is basically, it was, it's a small-ish group, got about 150 people. So we're geared towards talking about items we sold, you know, showing off, you know, weekly sales, weekly hauls, that type of thing. And it's called the reseller niche help group. Nice long name. Um, <laughs> Just rolls right <laughs> off the tongue. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. So yeah, all of these, it's all, you know, resale related. And the, the goal for all of this is just to help people to help myself get through the day, meet new people and maybe learn a little stuff on the way, maybe get a little bit more work done. Um, be a little bit more efficient because, uh, like I said, that's my issue from day one, just being organized, being efficient. So if I can meet a few new faces and hear a, new, a few new stories, that helps. Well, hopefully that does help. And uh, I will, of course, link to all of your stuff in the show notes and the video description below. So if you're watching or listening, please go check out um, all of the various reseller niche sites. Uh, do you, before we go, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Um, I just like to say thank you, Ryan, for having me on here. I've actually I've been watching you and listening to your podcast for wow, it's going on six months now, I think at least. So I appreciate uh, Ryan. I appreciate his style. I, I, he's very 
in terms of professionalism in our little reselling world, I think you're very professional. I like the, you know, the, I'm going to have to edit all this out. You realize that. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll take the check in the mail. Later. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> no, seriously though, this is, this is what I enjoy right here. Like getting to meet new people, talking to people, even though I've known Ryan for a couple months now, at least. So this is the fun part of it. Um, so if anyone out there is reselling by themselves, I think number one thing I'd say is reach out because I'm, like I said, a relatively awkward person. Reach out, however, if that's online, you know, Instagram, maybe you see someone in a thrift store, an estate sale, whatever it is, reach out and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. What are you doing? Yeah. And just kind of take it from there. Yep. And like you talked about kind of earlier, this is... YouTube in particular has kind of become the water cooler and, yeah. you know, the whatever the friend area of a workplace for resellers. Cause this can be, you know, a pretty lonely business. Most of us are not working with, you know, we're not blessed like Lonnie at shed flips where his wife just quit her job and she's now working with him. We don't have, it's just me. It's just yeah. you. Yeah. And most of our friends and family don't really fully understand what it is we do. So you, you talk to them about it and they look at you like you got four heads, you know what I mean? So yeah, I've seen the eye roll many times, right? So finding people, you know, out there on YouTube where you can, you know, I go to a lot of lives. I'm closing this thing up here in a few minutes and I'm going to watch Derek, uh, fundamentals of side hustling. He does a live on Wednesday night and it's just nice to interact with a group of like-minded people that ordinarily in your day-to-day work you would do in the workplace, but we don't have that. So. Exactly. And I think it's, to be honest, for for a lot of the different professions out there, they're going to start jumping. I mean, my kids, for example, they don't, get to see their friends face to face. They see them through Zoom. So take advantage if you can. Uh, reach out. Even lurk in the background. I I still do it. Right. Just, Just sign up, know. subscribe, watch, hit the little thumb up thing and you know, you don't have to comment right. if you don't want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time out and rescheduling for today. I was in the middle of a mess of stuff, so I appreciate your flexibility, and uh, it's always good talking to you. I'm sure I will be on one of your lives coming up sooner rather than later. Thanks so much, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So hopefully that was a good interview. I had a great time doing it. Mo, thank you again for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge and your experiences. It was really great to talk to you. I'm sure we're going to go back and forth probably multiple times in the future uh, doing each other's shows, but I hope you all got something out of that and enjoyed it. If so, you know the drill. Do me a favor, whack that thumbs up button and show YouTube that this was a great interview. With that, we're going to close it for the week. Uh, Have a great week. Stay healthy, stay safe. And now it's time to sell. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CD's Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.